You're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guests are Tanya McHale and Charles Boissere, Managing Directors in Oppenheimer's Global Fund Placement and Advisory Group. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on January 9, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode called The Current State of Private Equity. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're talking to Tanya McHale and Charles Boissere, both of Oppenheimer. Now, I did a recent Let's Talk Future episode with Chris Kutowski, and we talked about financial institutions. He emphasized the power of private equity companies in today's markets. We know that private equity has driven some of the largest recent buyouts and has become a larger percentage of the asset allocations of pension funds and other institutional accounts. So, heading into 2023, we thought we'd take a deeper dive into private equity. Here, we'll look at the relative performance, which is good, the players, and discuss some new strategies being deployed to create liquidity in illiquid markets. Here, we'll draw on the expertise of Tanya McHale and Charles Buissere. Both are managing directors in Oppenheimer's Global Fund Placement and Advisory Group. As such, they advise and help fundraise for leading and emerging alternative investment firms. What that means for us here is that they are at the front lines of the private equity market and its players. So with all of that, let's jump in with a warm welcome for Tanya and Charles. Thank you, Jane. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Jane. Okay. So I'm going to start with the basics and provide a definition. So private equity refers to capital investments in companies that are not publicly traded. This asset class has seen impressive growth, right? Yes, absolutely, Jane. It's something that we've really seen uh, grow over the last several decades. But really, I think in the last 20 years, we've seen a proliferation of private equity funds, you know, including some of the very large players that have been around for a number of years, such as the Carlyles and the KKRs of this world, and then perhaps some more specific uh, industry-focused players such as Toma Bravo, and then international players such as Advent International. So these are really groups that we have seen expand and grow over the last few decades and really take up a large proportion of the private equity market in terms of the funds that they raise. In fact, of those few players that I've just mentioned, between them, there, there were seven funds last year that raised over $130 billion in private equity uh, funds just from those few players. Yes, that's a lot of capital that's sitting right there. And it's interesting because if I look at some of the deals that have been done, they've spanned a lot of different industries. So this capital is being deployed in many different parts of the marketplace. That's right, Jane. Uh, we've seen as a proportion of M&A activity, private equity deals increase significantly over the last few years. And that is, is a result, to Tanya's point, of the additional dry powder 
or capital available to deploy that these uh, funds have been able to build out over the last five to 10 years as the industry has increased. And despite a volatile cycle right now, we've seen large deals close in 2022 across a variety of sectors. So Toma Bravo, the technology specialist, acquired Annapolis, a web-based enterprise platform for $10.4 billion. That was the largest buyout deal last year. Uh, in a different sector, the automotive sector, Polo acquired Tineco for $7.1 billion. And interestingly, I found that the third largest deal by Clayton Dibley and Rice was in the animal health services sector. So we are seeing private equity players invest in a, in a wide range of sectors and in a good diversity of sectors as well. Right. And when we look in the rearview mirror and we look at the performance of private equity versus public equity, it, listen, last year was a tough year for everybody, but private equity continues to outperform public, right? That's right. So interestingly, if we look at the three major stock indices in the US in 2022, they're all down quite significantly, at least high single digits for the uh, Dow Jones, all the way down to 33% for the NASDAQ. If we look at private equity data sources for the performance of this asset class over the last 12 months, we see between one and a half and 2% decline in performance only. Now, one has to think that it's much more challenging to analyze and create valuations in an illiquid asset class like private equity. And so this might be the start of a slightly steeper decline of performance as fund managers. So let's talk about that for a second. Talking about valuation of what's in these portfolios and as we're in a tough market environment, is that going to be a problem for us going forward with how we're valuing some of these illiquid investments? Yeah. So a lot of these portfolios, even though they are private companies, when they are valued, they are being marked to market with large public companies and comparable transactions that took place through IPOs. So naturally, when there is a steep decline in public market equity performance, this creates a challenging uh, paradigm for private equity fund managers to truly understand the valuation of their companies, or at least to communicate the valuation to limited partners. So over the last six to 12 months, we have seen an adjustment period where it has become more challenging. Having said that, if as an asset allocator, one looks at the performance of private equity over the last 10 years, there seems to be a consistent outperformance. It's not apple to apples to compare, but a strong outperformance of the asset class versus the listed equity markets. And therefore, as an overall asset class, we expect performance to continue to be strong. Okay, that's good. So we've established that there's a lot of fresh capital here, that the performance has been quite good on a relative basis, but we're going to have to talk about what everybody in the market is contending with right now. You know, we've seen allocations to private equity grow, but now as we're moving from a low inflation, low interest rate environment that we've had for a long time that's favored private equity, what's going to be the impact of that shift to higher rates going forward, do you think? So I think, Jane, in terms of allocations, given the success of the private equity market, as we've discussed over the last several decades, a lot of institutional investors are now allocated 
fully allocated or even over allocated in some respects to the private equity fund market. Um, partly this is due to the denominator effect. And that's the effect that we see when investors PE portfolio value exceeds its target allocation due to the decline in the value of other elements in the investors overall investment portfolio, such as the public markets. Okay, so wait, I want to clarify with that because that's a good point. So what you're saying is the original allocation shifts because other parts go down and then the private equity allocation is greater. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. So if an investor has a percentage allocation to public markets and they go down, by default, their allocation to private equity will go up and they may become over allocated to private equity. And in this case, it can make it very difficult for them to continue to allocate and invest in new funds, which is a trend that we have been seeing, particularly compounded over the last year or 18 months, and we expect may continue for a little bit of time. Having said that, it is an attractive asset class and investors are keen to continue that allocation to private equity to see the outperformance that it can produce for them. I think just at the end of December, we did see, for example, in New York State, public pensions increasing their allocation to private equity up to 35% from 25%. So there is a trend to increase allocations given the outperformance of the market, but that still does make it a little bit difficult for some players when they are over allocated to the asset class. Yeah, that's that's an, an interesting point. So as we look at this environment that we are in, some of the traditional exits. And what we mean when we say an exit is that an investment by a private equity company and an entity either looks to an IPO or an outright sale of the company to monetize their investment. And I guess now that's a bit challenging because the level of IPOs is way down. Um, and so you guys have talked to me about some interesting ways to create liquidity or create additional runway in some novel and new creative ways. Can, can we talk about that a little? Absolutely. And you're right, Jane, the weak public equity markets have meant that in the first nine months of 2022, exit activity for private equity firms, many of which rely on IPOs, is down about 60%. And that is compounding the effect for asset allocators that Tanya referenced, who are not receiving distributions to be able to have fresh capital to invest in new managers. And so as you note, there are a few trends we're seeing in this environment to try and find ways to provide liquidity in an illiquid environment. And the main market that we have seen growth in is the secondary market globally. This is twofold. One is driven by institutional investors, the LPs, and one is driven by the private equity firms, the GPs. On the institutional investor side, what that means is they are able to sell portions of their portfolios to other investors. What I mean by that is a portfolio comprised of several private equity funds that might be a good time for them to sell. And so we're seeing this activity pick up dramatically as new investors are looking to enter particular portfolios and existing investors are looking for liquidity. In general, the secondary market volume in 2021 reached a record high 
of just north of 130 billion. And in the first half of 2022, this was just shy of 60 billion. So we're seeing that despite the market volatility, this portfolio tool to provide liquidity on the institutional investor side is becoming very prevalent. The import of that for market observers is that that's creating continuity. So there's less disruption as there might be financial pressure to monetize something. So it's less likely to have a negative impact on the market because you're keeping things in place, right? It is, as you say, an important tool to provide negative impact. It is also an interesting tool to provide insight into the general performance of the industry. So as I had noted, the general performance was down about 1% to 2% based on industry sources. But one of the methodologies of doing a secondary transaction is the pricing versus the net asset value of that portfolio of funds. And in a bull market, you typically acquire at a premium to NAV. In a more challenged market, you, you would typically see investors acquire at a discount. And right now, on average, we're seeing about 86% of NAV being the average discount that investors are using to acquire these portfolios. Now, on the general partner side, so that's the actual sponsor themselves, there is also the GP-led secondaries market. So this allows sponsors with a single asset or a group of assets within their portfolio who are potentially finding it challenging to exit through IPO or seek considerable value in those companies and would like to hold on to them longer than they would within their fund structure, they're creating what is known as continuation vehicles. And again, the growth of this channel has been significant and continues to be. Despite LPs becoming more selective and making sure that those assets are of a high quality, this is a very interesting route for sponsors to develop over the next six to 12 months if the IPO markets remain muted. Well, I love that. And that's what we do in the market, right? We have to come up with new solutions for thorny problems. And you guys are right there helping create those solutions. So I, I love that. Now, another silo that we've talked about quite a bit on Let's Talk Future is ESG and impact investing. And as you look at LP portfolios and as you work with your managers, that's a portion of the market that is only going to grow, right? It's going to stay quite relevant. Absolutely, Jane. Yeah, it's it's really not going anywhere now, as it shouldn't. The ESG and responsible uh, or sustainable investing agenda of many GPs and LPs. So a lot of investors, LPs are now having ESG or sustainable investment questionnaires that they are putting to GPs before they invest with them to make sure that this is something GPs are taking into account. And the majority of GPs do now have an ESG or sustainable or responsible investment policy. But many GPs are, are taking this to the next level as well. And we are seeing the emergence of a number of impact-focused managers who are looking to have this as, as their main source of an investment is investing in companies that have a positive impact on the environment or on society. And it's something that LPs are, are looking at more and more as well and taking into account. But I would say one of the factors and a lot of the feedback we get from investors is they, they see this as a very important part of the market and an important place to invest, but not at the detriment of returns to the portfolio. So going back to the earlier point that you know many investors allocate to private equity to see that outperformance, 
investors are not prepared to invest in, in impact or sustainable investment managers where they're not going to see that outperformance. And a lot of GPs are adapting now to making sure that the investments that they make in sustainable or impact investments are not to the detriment of returns. And actually, you have excellent investments that produce excellent in returns and the positive impact on society or the environment is an extra factor, an extra positive factor that, that they can take into account. Absolutely. I mean, that just makes so much sense. And are you also seeing, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about greenwashing and the definition of these kinds of investments. I think Europe has been ahead of us in the US with formalizing those definitions and all. What are you seeing there? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the EU has now brought in a rating measure for private equity funds, for EU-based private equity funds, to take into account the different levels of sustainable impact investing that GPs make. And I believe, you know, this is something that the US is also looking at, but it has been very much formalized in the EU now to prevent, as you say, the fact that GPs are sort of retrospectively fitting their portfolios to say that they are impact when perhaps they're not. So the EU has these criteria in place. And along with that criteria, there are reporting measures that they need to show, key performance indicators that they the GPs need to show to prove that the companies that they're investing on are meeting these sustainable, responsible investing impact targets. Right. Good. Well, you know, the name of this series is Let's Talk Future. So we always like to try to take a look ahead and give a sense of what we think things are going to look like in the year ahead. So amongst your clients, and I, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about sort of the key investor sentiment, what it what it's like out there as we head into 2023. We're very positive on the space. You know, it is, it is an asset class, as we say, that has continued to outperform other asset classes over the last several decades. And we anticipate that it will continue to do so. There are obviously challenges in the market, some of which we covered during this call, and not least the investor allocations. But we are seeing more and more investors now allocating to the asset class because they see the positive returns that it can create for them in their portfolios. Investors are, are always looking for the next alpha, and private equity can often be that generator. So overall, we're, we're very positive about the market and, and the future for the private equity market. A lot of capital there. You're, you're, you're positive about it. Charles, did you want to add? No, I agree. Fundamentally, the private equity market and the demand for additional deployment going forward remains strong. I think the structural challenges that we are seeing now is opening new avenues, as we've discussed. I do feel that the uh, outperformance of the asset class needs to also be in put into context with individual fund manager performance. And I think the LP selection will continue to be fairly rigorous over the next 12 to 24 months, where because unrealized portions of portfolios are difficult to evaluate, uh, the fundamental levers that these sponsors are using to create value and their ability to find liquidity in difficult markets will really have a strong spotlight put on them. But overall, it has been structural challenges that have caused limitations and not demand for this asset class, which continues to perform well. Right. And, you know, this isn't really your Balowick, but when I spoke with Chris Kutowski and he talked about the publicly traded ways of that are an individual investor can play private equity by owning some of the large 
companies. Is that pretty much the way that an individual investor can play? There's there's some attempts to, to make some progress there too, right? Yes, absolutely. So as you say, Jane, there are a number of private equity firms that are publicly listed and investors can get exposure to those firms in that way. We, as the Fund Placement and Advisory Group at Oppenheimer, we raise funds from institutional investors. But what we have seen over the last couple of years is a, is a real emergence of firms who are looking to give retail investors access to private equity firms directly through, through a number of different ways. So getting direct access to, to the underlying funds as opposed to the manager itself. So that is something that a lot of GPs are looking at in to help fund their, uh, their portfolios over the next few years. And it's obviously an enormous market that I think the private equity firms would like to tap into. An enormous market. And you guys are right there. And given how terrific you are, I am sure you'll be part of the process in helping come up with ways to do that. So, you know, this has been very illuminating. We've, we've kind of answered some of the basic questions and definitions about private equity. We've established that there's a lot of capital here to deploy and that we expect the relative outperformance and the dominance in the market. We're going to continue to see some large transactions from private equity. I really want to thank you both for your, your time here today. Thank you, Jane. Very much appreciate your time today. And uh, thank you for the platform. Thank you, Jane. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community and expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.